Good morning. I'll just adjust this uh, mic, if I may, so there'll be a bit of a creaking sound. Or maybe not, as the case may be. That's great. My name's Holvan. My wife, Debbie, and myself have been uh, members here at Christ the Lord for just over 11 years, which I guess makes us middle-aged church members here. Because there are some people who've been here for quite a bit longer than that, and some who've been here for less than that. So it's nice to be in the middle, and welcome to anyone who's here for the first time. Uh, as Andy said, we, we don't have a vicar at the moment, but Simon, our dearly beloved previous vicar, uh, left us with a real challenge because his parting gift to us was a plan for the services right up to Christmas. And we're in a series of talks on the book of Revelation, which he planned for us to do, which is very, very kind of him. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that it contains a few quite weird and wonderful uh, passages, uh, many of which are in the book of Revelation. So hope you enjoy it. But in a serious way, today is a really good day to be looking at the book of Revelation because it grapples with some very serious themes, big themes, like life and death. And not just of one person, but of thousands of people, of famine and war and suffering and hope and love. You see, it's very difficult, isn't it, to, to live a life of hope and love when the world seems to be falling apart around you. And that might be because of world circumstances. You know, so many millions of people don't have a guarantee of a meal today that we don't even think about and we think we are badly off. But there are things in our lives that can cause us great pain, perhaps a broken uh, marriage or, or a, a, a sick parent or whatever it happens to be, things that cause us great difficulty. And obviously at a time when we remember those who've suffered and died in, in wars, we're aware that our world is scarred in so many ways. How hard it is to live a, a life of love and hope when the world seems to be falling to pieces around you. And yet, a broken world desperately needs people who can live a life of love and hope. It needs people like you and me to be ready to do that, at least to begin to do that. And I believe we need God to help us finish that job. Shall we pray? Father, as we look at your word, we pray that you would help us to understand the things that we need to understand, to remember the things that we really need to remember, and to act on those things that will give our lives a better direction in the future. Amen. Amen. Now, I've got this dilemma of whether to put my reading glasses on or not, because if I do, I can't see you, and if I don't, I can't see my notes. So, you can always take a vote on that, maybe. I don't know. It was a funny thing, actually, because I, I started looking at the passage for, for today uh, a week ago yesterday. It was the Saturday morning, and I, and I just started reading it, and there was a knock at the door, and it was the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I said to them, you know, funny you should call, because I've, I've just started reading Revelation chapter 7. I had a really lovely talk, myself and this lady and her two uh, grandchildren, and they, they started by reading to me a verse from the Psalms. Psalm 37, verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. And we had a quite interesting di discussion about earth and God's purpose for earth and heaven and what heaven might, might be and who, who might or might not be going there. 
and I rather naughtily, or perhaps not naughtily, re remembered one of St. Paul's verses that he writes to uh, the, the Ephesians where he, he says to these Christians who live in a, 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 what's now a Turkish city called Ephesus, he says, you are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I said to him, well, how is that that these people were already in heaven? You know, what does that mean? I don't know. But there's a funny thing that the Bible speaks about, a link between earth and heaven. They're obviously not the same. I mean, this, this, this isn't heaven. It's, it's nice. It's all right. But I don't think it's heaven. When we look at our world and look at our poppies, we know this is not, this is not heaven. And yet we believe there's a link between earth and heaven. And Jesus came to bring that link. And I believe he wants us to be part of it. And in this, this book of Revelation that's written to Christians, some of whom are being persecuted, some of whom are very poor. It's, it's not like nowadays, yeah, when the churches are very, very big and stretch across the world and have big cathedrals and lots of money and big debts as well. The churches then were just small groups of people who were easily picked on. They were the underdogs then. We sometimes forget that. And for some of them, they were thinking about giving up because it was getting so hard. And this, this guy, John, has this, this, this series of visions. They're almost like dreams. You know when something's on your mind and you have a dream? You might dream about it more than once. Have you ever had that experience? Yes, no. Ever, ever had that? And sometimes when you dream, the dream's a bit weird. It's not always exactly like real life. Have you ever had that, that, that dream where you can fly? I used to have that when I was a kid, actually. And I, I had a dream once. I was, I was flying around the playground in my pajamas, and I was more worried about being... I must look silly in my pajamas. It's very nice to, to, to be able to fly. And I guess if you've got something really on, on your mind, you might dream about it several times, and the dreams might be the same, or they might be different, but it's still the same thing that's coming through. And Paul has got so much on his... Uh, sorry, John, the, the guy who wrote... Revelation's got so much on his mind, but in all these visions, similar things are coming through in different ways. Perhaps that's, that's the way that I would see it. And being a teacher, I always think it's good to start with a bit of revision, yeah? Now, what was chapter one? Because that'll help those who weren't here for the last three, three lessons, is what I say at school. In chapter one, we see a vision of Jesus in an unusual light in flickering lamplight because he's moving between the lamps that represent churches he's amidst the churches he's looking at what they're doing he's working with them where he can and he's noticing where he can't work with his own churches now this this week at the, the uh, sixth form college where I, where I work we're going to spend Wednesday Thursday and Friday talking to all our lower six students I get five to ten minutes with every person that I teach and it's going to be what we call the ILP interview days. We do an individual learning plan. This is what you need to do to pass your A-levels. And at the moment, you're not doing it. So here's your ILP, dot, 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 dot. Do you agree? And so it, so it goes on. Chapters 2 and 3 are the ILP interview letters for the, ch the seven churches, where Jesus says, room for improvement, this is good, that is not so good. Here's the job that you've got to do. And the seven, the seven in, in, in uh, Revelation represents completeness. It's a full set. It's not 52 cards. It's seven churches. They represent all the churches. Those messages could be to us. 
That's one, two, and three. Chapter four, we're on to. Chapter four is the first vision of heaven. And John, who's, who's in prison, who's surrounded by persecuted Christians in little groups, some of whom are giving up hope, has this vision of like a trap door in, in the sky, and he sees through it, and he can see heaven. And the first thing he sees in heaven is... It's obviously very, very memorable, isn't it, for those who are here? A throne. And it's not just a throne, there's somebody on it, which is really good news uh, for those who, who, who are looking for purpose in the universe. And that chapter is about the person who's on the throne. John never names the person. Other people in the vision do. They call him God. But John never calls him God. He says, the one on the throne. And that, that person, God, is a figure of authority and majesty and power. He's unapproachable. He's perfect. He's beautiful. He's holy. John can't even say the word God when he talks about him. He's so awesome. And you know, if that was the end of the story, we might never get into it. Because what would we have to say to an unapproachable, holy God, the lawgiver, the perfect, the majestic, the great? We'd be pathetic in his presence. We'd look at the ground and not be able to face him. But that's not the end of the story. Chapter 5, it's kind of a dramatic scene. Enter stage left, another important character. Now John is told to look out for the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he's looking for a lion, victorious, strong, conquering type, uh, you know, king of the jungle type animal. And what does he see? He sees a lamb. A little lamb trots onto the scene. And this lamb looks as though it's been killed, but it's still walking. It's a bit strange, isn't it, really? And that, that is a really weird thought. And then John, John says it in, in chapter 5, verse 6, something that the translators find hard to tra translate. That the lamb is in the middle of the throne, in the middle of the living creatures, in the middle of the elders, in the middle of it all. And this throne that represents the authority of the holy, awesome God, in the middle of it, the very heart of what it means, is a sacrificed lamb. We've got vulnerability. We've got pain. We've got suffering at the heart of who God is. If we thought God was a majestic lawgiver, some distant person who's not involved in our troubles, We've not got the whole picture because the God that we worship at his heart, it's more full of pain than we will ever experience. A suffering and vulnerable God. And the figure of the lamb is a person who is submitted. He takes orders. Do you have orders in the scouts or not? Is that, is that, is that not a very 21st century thing? But I'm sure Baden-Powell believed in that. Yeah, they, they were used to that kind of thing. You know, duty and honour and so on. We, we, we struggle with that in our sort of post-modern society. But they would have understood that. And the, the lamb is, is, is subject. He, he puts himself in second place. And he brings sacrifice into the picture. And he lives the life of a servant. That's the God that we worship. You know, for, the, for Christians in past ages, maybe a hundred years, perhaps before the First World War, 
It was easier to believe in that God of authority, that God was ruling the world. All we had to do was keep God's laws and it would be okay. After that, that didn't seem so, so simple. And people found it hard to believe in a God who was distant and holy and who we could never do enough to be good enough. And for some of those people, the Lamb, the God who suffers, the God who gave himself and died for us, the God who came as a servant to meet other people's needs. For some of those people, that's the kind of God that they wanted to move to and were attracted to. And perhaps some of us have been attracted to that God. You know, what I want to say is that no matter which century we were born into and what ideas we have grown up with and what experiences we've passed through, the truth about God is the same. God is not a different God in the 21st century to what he was in the 1st century. And the New Testament Christians, the people who knew Jesus, and some of whom were imprisoned and even executed for him, they don't give us the option of having either God on the throne or the Lamb representing Jesus who died on the cross. They give us both. You know, sometimes my, my students struggle to understand the things that I'm telling them, as I can tell one or two of you are struggling now. I recognize the facial expressions and the body movements. We were doing particle physics on Friday afternoon. It's not a good time to start that topic, is it really? So I talked about quarks and mixed quantum states and stuff like that, and they looked at me and said, why are we doing this, man? What is all that about? And one, one girl in particular, Annie, she, she, she just sort of smiled, and the smile said, I don't want to know any of this. Please shut up. And that is a problem. It is a problem. And, and I accept that Friday afternoon is not the best time to be learning something totally new. But I want to challenge you today and say, you know, life is there to live. It's, it's your life. It's my life. I must make my decisions about what, what, what life holds or what I'm going to do with it. If there is a God, please don't wait for someone else to prove to you that there is a God. Find out. Find out. Learn. Be ready to learn. And when you're ready to learn, you make your own choice. And we stand and fall by our own choice. But if we're in the position that my students are in, that we live the whole of our lives with that Friday afternoon feeling, I've had enough and I don't want to learn anything new. Yeah? I'm happy with what I've got. Please don't rock my boat. Can I go home and have my tea? Then we're being dishonest and we're not living an authentic human life. And what I want to offer to you is this, is this possibly new idea that the infinite God of authority and the suffering servant Christ are one thing together. And we need to get hold of them both if we're going to move forward in our lives. That was one, two, three, four, five of Revelation. Uh, Chapter 6, and the beginning of 7, actually the vision transfers itself to earth, to what's happening on earth. And Simon in his scheme didn't, didn't, didn't put any of that to, to me. Sue, Sue did some of that. But my, my bit has gone, has gone back into heaven. So in, in chapter 7, verse 9, we're back in heaven. We've got the throne. We've got the lamb. We've got the angels. We've got the, the emerald rainbow and the crystal sea and blah, blah, blah. But now we have a new set of people who've joined the drama. Who are they and what are they doing there? Well, they must be pretty important. You know, this is a, a vision of the, of the God of the ages 
and the Christ who died and rose again, these people are important enough to be part of that story. Here, they get half a chapter to themselves, which isn't bad. Okay, chapter 7. I'm, I'm meaning to put, put my specs on there to see, see where I'm going. Well, they, they are the great multitude, aren't they, that, that, that Alison read about. Before me was a great multitude that no one could count. You know, that's, that's really important, actually, that, that no one could, could count them. When, when they had a census in the Old Testament, the, 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 I mean, the, the reason usually was, was not mainly to count how many people could pay taxes. That's why we have a census, isn't it, isn't it really? They had a census to count how many men there were of fighting age between 20 and 50. Then the king would know how many bodies he could send into war the next time they, they had a war. And King David once did a census when he shouldn't have done. And God said, you should have trusted me. Don't count your soldiers, just trust, trust me. But this bunch of people are so many, they, they can't be counted. And they, they don't need to be counted because they're not fighting any wars anymore. They fought their wars and had their struggles. And that's all finished for them. From every nation, tribe, people, language. So they're all from all different backgrounds, people who may never have met each other in, in this, this, this world of ours, and now they're all together. Let me just pick out three, three things about them. First of all, they're in the same place together. Where's that? They're standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Did you, did, did you think I was wasting your time by talking about chapter 4 and 5 and going on about the throne and the lamb that's in the center of the throne. Seems to us to be two different things, but they're really part of one thing. That's where these people are. That's where they, they should be. Right in front of God's throne. Right in front of the lamb who died for them. They're in the same place. They have the same shout. They all shout something out together. Now, isn't this a funny thought? On Remembrance Day, if you if you could be in front of God in in heaven, what would you say? Would you say, why did the First World War happen? Why didn't you stop it? Why did so many people die in the Second World War? What about the gas chambers? Why didn't you stop that? And so on. Some of us might be a little bit more charitable and say, well, let's be fair. God, you made a great start. Creation was wonderful. Lots of lovely things, but maybe you lost your way halfway through. If only you'd had Sir Alex to give you a bit of half-time advice, the course of history might have been different. These guys don't, don't want to say that. They haven't come with any complaints. They come with a single shout. We'll look at it in, in a minute. Same place, same shout. And they have the same purpose, as we'll see their, 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 their life. The life and activity that they have together is the same. So although they're very, very different from an earthly perspective, these people are very much the same. Now, John, John, John is told that these are people, if I can get my specs on again, this is verse 14, who come out of the great tribulation, that, you know, the whole world is being shaken by wars and famines and suffering. These people are, have experienced that. They've, they've come, come through that. They live life like anybody else. They had a family member die of cancer. 
Their, their house was, was raided by the secret police because they were an unofficial Christian meeting. They've had people arrested. Uh, you know, they've, they've had a family member die in a war. These are people who've been part of the suffering of our world as, and, and the particular suffering of Christian people in the first century. And today, of course, because it, it, conti it, it continues. They've been through suffering and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a very strange phrase, but it's sy symbolic language. It means they are here, they've become purified, they've received their forgiveness from this holy and awesome God because they've come to him honestly for who they really are through Jesus Christ. They've accepted that this God has got pain and suffering at his heart and that he opened that heart to the world in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his perfect sacrifice, Jesus provides for us the only way into the heart of God that is honest for him and honest for us. And these people came to God on that basis. And they lived their lives, some suffering more than others, some doing a better job than others, maybe, but all traveling in that direction towards their final destination. And when they got there, they knew they were home. So they're in the same place. It's the place where they belong. It's the place of the throne and of the Lamb, the place where God rules okay and where forgiven sinners are at home. They come with the same shout, not why did you, didn't you do this and why didn't you do that, but have you seen what their, their shout is? What is it? Salvation. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Our God on the throne and to the Lamb. It's together again, isn't it, really? Salvation is a bit of a churchy word, isn't it, really? But it means many things. In a, in a kind of a war context, it means peace. Shalom is the, is the Hebrew, isn't it? And, and, and that's a harmonious peace of body, soul, and society. And salvation is complete peace inside and out. It means health. It means purity before a holy God. It means unity amongst a group of people. And the path to salvation involves the ending of strife. It involves the healing of disease. It involves the forgiveness of sins. And these people, they, having come through all their sufferings and all their trials and tribulations, they come before God and say, salvation is what you gave us. You've been working all the time to bring peace and healing through every leaf, through every snowflake, through every newborn baby, through every prayer, through every person whose mind turned towards you. You've been working to bring shalom since the beginning and their lives became part of that salvation story and now they're bringing its fruit back to God in heaven and then just uh, a few verses on we see their common purpose shared place uh, shared shout and the same purpose they're before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple they're worshipping like priests in the temple. 
He will spread his tent over them. They're going to live with him. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Their, their struggles are over, but their work hasn't finished. They're still worshiping. They're acting as priests in heaven. Priests help other people to worship. Maybe these people with the white robes are a kind of clergy. And they're helping the whole universe to worship God. And they're going to live with God and with the Lamb forever. Now I think we need to come down from heaven and get our feet back on the floor in Broadfield. That'd be good, that really. Because I think that's the purpose of John's letter. It's not to leave people with their head in the clouds. It's to say to the Christians, this is where your faith in Christ is taking you. And we should be like the athlete who's running that, that race and just turns the corner and sees at the end of the straight the finishing tape. Now, if that was me, I would find that encouraging. And I'd try and put a spurt on and, and get there as quickly as I could and finish the race well. And I believe through the book of Revelation, God is challenging us to continue and to finish our race well for him. And whether it's 100 meters left or 1,000 meters left, to keep running. And the wonderful thing about this passage is that these people in the white robes, although they're special in the plan of God, I believe they represent ordinary Christians. Anybody who comes to God honestly on the basis of the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the basis. They wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. How well they did after that is different for different people. But they all did something that contributed to God's great salvation story. And whatever state you feel that you are in, maybe you're not feeling very upbeat about life at the moment. Maybe you are. Maybe you're feeling that you're a bit alone in the things that, that you do. Or maybe you feel very much part of a team where things are working well. Whatever you're feeling, God encourages us to run on and to run well. And whatever we can give in the name and character of Christ will count as part of God's salvation story. We are beloved children to God. And as we serve him in our imperfect, faltering way, he is so pleased. He's longing to welcome us into that heavenly home. But he wants us to finish our race first. And that will cost. Cost us in many ways. Just as people have paid a price before for what they believed in, it's going to be the same for us. Andy mentioned the um, search for a new, new vicar, and Debbie and I were chatting to a clergy friend of, of ours uh, some, some, some while ago, not somebody from this parish, who is uh, looking for a new post. And he'd been reading in the, the Church of England newspaper, looking at the different adverts there, and seen one for what looked like a very attractive church. It was a big church, lovely building, uh, lots of groups, lots of things going on, and it, it seemed a great, great post. Then he sort of read it carefully again and said to us that he was, he was put off when, when he read the advert for that particular church. Uh, it, reading between the lines of what was said there, it, it, it gave the impression that they had all these very active groups 
that couldn't get on with each other. And what they were wanting was someone to come in and sort out the mess. Uh, and possibly each group was hoping the vicar would come in and say, oh, it's the other group's fault, you, you guys are great. Now we're looking forward to the person that God is going to send to us and hope that, 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 that they come soon, but however soon, it's going to be God's time. But I, I really hope and pray that when that person comes, they don't find us waiting for him or her to sort out the mess of people who can't stand together, who can't give the same shout, who can't work to the same purpose. So whatever's tripping you up or tripping me up, let's commit ourselves to have the same shout in the same place and to be a team together. Shall we pray? Father, we do pray for that church that appears to have problems of disagreement between particular personalities and that's causing conflict between different groups and uh, their, their, uh, their competition for the resources that the church has. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be humble with one another, that you would help us to have that spirit of sacrifice, of submission, having room for other people, and also of service that the Lord Jesus Christ shows to us. Lord, that together we might be expressing something of that heavenly life here on earth in Broadfield. Lord, guide us, I pray. Teach us. And may we inherit your earth. Amen.